Grace Drummond. Welcome to the Rochester Rising podcast, where we amplify the stories of entrepreneurs in Rochester, Minnesota. Thank you for spending some time with us today to learn more about small business and the culture of entrepreneurship in Rochester. We hope that you learned something today from a local entrepreneur that can help you with your own journey. Rochester Rising is a part of Collider, a Rochester-based nonprofit that activates, connects, and empowers early-stage entrepreneurs in our community. You can learn more about Collider and how our organization can help accelerate and assist your journey at collider.mn. Today on the podcast, we chat with Nikki Gray, and we'll be discussing her wine business, Vine and Vinum. Let's get started. Well, hi, Nikki. Thank you so much for being on with me today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, to get started, tell me a little bit about you. What are some of your hobbies and interests outside of work? Well, um, this year, my husband and I adopted my five-year-old niece. So Amazing. I am doing oh. a lot of Play-Doh, a lot of watching <laughs> SpongeBob, a lot of going to the park. So um, my free time, and I put that in quotes, is very five-year-old centric. It's been so fun, but it is like, I don't know how people do this and have more than one kid. Yeah. And a job. Absolutely. And absolutely. And that's a whole different experience, like jumping directly into five-year-oldness, yes, exactly. you know. Going from zero to a happy, healthy five-year-old. Yeah. So she keeps us on our toes, that's for sure. Absolutely. Fun. Well, what brought you to Rochester and what kind of keeps you around? Um, my now husband is from Rochester. We met in Minneapolis and... Um, about a year or so after we met, we moved in together here in Rochester. In a less than a year and a half, I went from living downtown Chicago to downtown Minneapolis to Rochester. And so it was quite an adjustment. But after just, I would say, weeks, um, I love Rochester. It reminds me a little bit of being from, I'm from Duluth. So it reminds me of that culture and feel and size. But I think because of Mayo, there's so much more diversity and energy here in this town. So I kind of fell in love with it. I, I really don't have any desire to leave. It's just a great town. And um, working from home, and then especially this is even pre-pandemic, I connected right away with um, Collider. Oh, cool. And so just the, everyone there was so welcoming, and it just, it just started this natural community for me. Mm -hmm. So... I'm really happy. I think I'm going to be here. I'm a lifer. I feel like Rochester has a way of drawing people in in ways that they maybe didn't expect. I totally agree. I, I had no, I had reservations about moving, but now I'm so glad that we did. Yeah, absolutely. Would you say that something about the Rochester community made you want to start a business here or provided kind of unique challenges to starting a business here? Um, well, I started it in Minneapolis, and it kind of fell in my lap, which I mm -hmm. feel very blessed to be able to say. You know, I had worked with this wine company for a long time, and they asked me to come work for them, and it turned out just to be better to start my own thing and do more of a contracting business with them. So um, I haven't really felt that there was challenges to working here, but I do, as I kind of alluded to earlier, feel like it's a great support system, mm -hmm. you know, um, between Collider and all the other, you know, associations that are there. I think, too, being around a lot of people who are entrepreneurs, it makes people who, who do, who work for themselves, I think, tend to be more open and creative and open to learning 
in meeting different people. Mm. And so it kind of just naturally yields itself to a good place to have a business. Yeah. A good place to raise a family too and a good place to have a business. And then now with technology being what it is, you can have a global business and be operated out of your living room. So yeah. I as I said already, I'm just thankful to be here. Yeah, absolutely. And it's always great kind of when you go into being an entrepreneur with knowledge of organizations that can help you too. I feel like so many people just don't even know. I agree. Um, I agree. I, I I think of that. I know you and I talked about this before, um, that SCORE organization. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. all these people who are volunteering their time and expertise, they've had been working for 40 years or whatever, and they are giving back to people who are just learning. And it's, it's something that people don't know about. It's, so it's yeah. kind of a passion of mine is like getting the word out to your point of the resources. Yeah, absolutely. You shouldn't have to operate alone. No, you shouldn't. Especially when there are, there's yeah. just a, a, multitude a multitude of of resources for entrepreneurs in this town, which is so exciting. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about your background and kind of work and education. Yeah. Um, well, when I went to college, I went in for math because my mom said, you should go in for math. You're good at math. <laughs> and I did. And, um, but that's not what I wanted to do I realized yeah. right away. So I ended up doing chemical engineering and food science. And then I got my grad work in nutritional sciences. And so that's my educational background. But then when I graduated, it was around September 11th, the world was a crazy place. Mm. And I was looking for a job and a friend of mine suggested this assistant buyer job at Marshall Fields at the time. Sure. It's no longer a company, but I started there and my first week of working there, I found out they had a wine and gourmet food department. <laughs> Perfection. So I literally marched myself to HR and I said, hi, I started this week, you know, because we were just training. We hadn't been placed yet. Could you place me in that department? And they said, um, no, we don't have any openings in that department. So I went on with, you know, shoes and jewelry, etc. But I went to HR about once every month just to say, do you have any <laughs> openings in wine and gourmet food? And eventually they did. I got to be the wine buyer. And that just projected me into this very weird, but I enjoy it, but weird mm. in a good way, niche where I was operating a wine business in a company with systems that's developed that are developed for pots and pans, bedding, sweaters, things that are stable. Sure. Yeah. But wine has breakage, um, has expiration dates. There's liquor laws. Mm. There's a different liquor law, like sometimes by county. You know, yeah. and here we're doing like a national rollout of it. So I had to learn, and I think where that's where my, my engineering background comes into play is like looking at a very complicated situation and just like narrowing it down to like what is the next step, mm-hmm. and then from there what is the next step. So long story short, once that happened, and then Macy's bought Marshall Fields, and then they closed the buying office, and so then I worked in Chicago doing something similar, always with that kind of niche of working in a really large company that doesn't normally do wine, but sure. here I am, I'm doing wine. <laughs> so it has its perks and also, you know, the negatives too, but people always knew who I was because I was yeah. like, hi, I need special systems over here or I need to like <laughs> tweak this system because we have a liquor law in the state of Arkansas. So I, I, like, I like what I do. It's, it's never the same. 
Yeah. Every day is different, and I'm very appreciative. Very cool. Uh, what kind of initially sparked your love of wine? I don't really know. I, I know I've always valued, like, I think food is my love language. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think I was always interested in food. My mom was very... Like, she was organic before it was cool, you know? Sure. She'd make the homemade bread, and we were, like, so over it. We wanted the white bread, you know, <laughs> that our friends had. She made her own you know, yogurt, the whole thing, flaxseed, carob chips. And so I think that because she was so into food, and my dad was too, and they were always cooking for us, food became very important and, and a like I said, almost like a language. Mm-hmm. And then wine. You know, my parents didn't really drink growing up, but I, I got to know, like, when I traveled to Italy and they just have wine at the table and I kind of, mm-hmm. I love that whole thing. So I could probably talk about this for hours, but um, <laughs> getting to a point, I think I was always interested in it. And I think that's interesting that when I graduated from college, much less high school, there wasn't e-commerce like there mm. is, you know, if at all. And so I didn't know that I would end up here, but I think since I've always been interested in food and wine and numbers and people, I kind of have forged this niche career. Mm-hmm. You know, I, like I said, you could I couldn't have known where I would end up. Right. None of us could. But right, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. So at what point as you were working in those industries and in those larger companies did you decide, it's time for me to branch out and do my own thing? Um, it was about five years ago, and I was living in Chicago, and I loved living in Chicago, but I just wanted to be closer to my family. My family's mm-hmm. still all in Duluth, um, and that's when I had that opportunity that I talked about earlier where a woman that I'd worked with for years said, I'd love it if you would help us out because they were building their e-commerce platform for um, their wine company. So that was my first opportunity to take advantage of like doing my own thing. I can move back to Minnesota. I moved back to Minneapolis, so I was closer to my family. And um, yeah, that's kind of how I ended up there. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say were maybe some of the greatest challenges that you faced while getting your business started or were figuring out how to make that happen? I think the greatest hurdle for me was staying organized Mm. because working for a large company, especially working for any company, they develop the structure for you. Yeah. But a large company is so structured. It's these are the meetings that you have. You generally come in at the same time. You leave at the same time. There's deadlines and deliverables. And naturally, as a functioning adult, you meet those mm-hmm. deadlines. But not having any of that structure was a huge learning curve for me. Sure. It was, um, I, I learned that as, as basic as it sounds, like, get up and do your hair and put, put your makeup on even if you're not leaving. Or mm-hmm. um, I, That's actually why the Collider was so helpful to me because like, when I yeah. moved here, it was it really was twofold. It was the social part as well as the structure. Mm-hmm. But I moved to a city where I didn't know anybody except for the person I was living with. Yeah. And I was home all day, and I just, like, I needed structure. So I think I, I definitely struggled through that lesson. Um, I can say today that I'm so much more organized than I was five years ago. Sure. Yes, I have a lot of learning still to go, <laughs> and I, I'm still developing different ways of being more efficient, and especially not having a five-year-old. There's no, mm-hmm. 
yes, I can get some work done in the evenings, but it's I don't want to, you mm-hmm. know, so I have to be super efficient. So that's definitely, hands down, the greatest hurdle for me. Yeah, absolutely. I feel that working from home, like it's difficult to have a work-life balance it's when so it's all tied up in the same space. Like it's easy enough to leave work at work when, right. when you can leave work, but, but when it's right there. And then we have our phones. Yes. And so like that's another piece of it is the being organized is putting those time blocks on there. Mm-hmm. And, and people do respect that. I think now, especially now, people respect like, yeah, it's after – X. It's after 5 or 6 p.m. You know, I'm not going to get a hold of her necessarily. Mm -hmm. Text if you need me, of course. Right, right. Did you find that the pandemic affected your business at all, or did it still kind of continue on as it was? You know, ironically, um, this is, I still think it's such a strange thing that this happened this way, but because people were home, they were drinking more wine. Well, they're drinking more wine. Oh, I certainly can agree with right. that. I definitely <laughs> drank a lot more wine during the pandemic. So, so you think that my business would have like grown, and then they were drinking more wine, but also ordering more wine online. Sure. They couldn't yep. leave. Mm-hmm. So you'd think my business would have been like just gangbusters, and it actually was, but the company I was working for had so much business that they literally couldn't fulfill all the business, mm, sure. so they furloughed me. So it was just like this weird irony. It's like it's going so well, but then I'm not working. But what happened is I was furloughed for probably only four weeks, although it felt like a really long four weeks. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But it forced me to look at other things to do, like other options. And I would not have done this if not for the pandemic. But I started talking to other people and I found another company that needed similar services. So I kind of just took my structure and applied it to a different company mm. and developed a different revenue stream. But then when I came back to work for the other comp- the original company, I kept the second company. So in the end, I was way ahead of where yeah. I had been because now I had two revenue streams, but efficiently using the same structure. Yeah. So again, I, I would not have done that. And in, you know, thinking about talking to you today, this morning, I was like, why don't I do that again? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Isn't that interesting? It is. I was forced to get out of my comfort zone and it ended up being way better than it had been before. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. It was, it was pretty nice. Awesome. Have you ever felt that being a female entrepreneur made it more difficult to start your business? I think that is such an interesting question. Um, I thought a lot about this. I think on the outside, not at all. But I think internally, yes, in general, Mm -hmm. women tend to not speak up as much. Mm -hmm. Um, They tend to not be as confident in a work environment. Mm -hmm. This is just in generalities. Um, They tend to have the imposter syndrome. And I have all of those. Mm -hmm. And I think that has held me back at certain points. Being aware of it, speaking of it, addressing it helps us overcome that. Um, I'm, I tend to be in roles where it's me and then a bunch of men, you know, because yeah. I do love the numbers, which tend to be more of the mm-hmm. male side. Um, so, so, you know, to answer your question, yes, but not from the outside. Sure. Just from the inside. Right. And that's also a human a human experience. You right. tend to have self-doubt. You tend to think, even when I was thinking about talking to you on a podcast, I thought, 
well, I have nothing to offer, you know? And then I had to be like, no, I think I do. You absolutely I do. I offer something. A hundred percent. Thank you. Well, what do you find most rewarding about your work? That's a good question. I, I like seeing the concrete numbers when there is an improvement in business, if that, whether it's just top line or margin or, or even expanding an assortment. I think numbers are so fascinating. I mean, I'm a nerd at heart. Um, <laughs> and there's the expression, numbers don't lie. No, but people do. Yeah. And so you could say, you could say year over year, I had a 50% increase in sales, but you sold two units last year and you sold three units this year. So I just think it's really cool when you can take the numbers and communicate, tell a story with them. Mm. And that's, that's at the kind of the heart of what I do all the time is what's really selling, yeah. you know, not what I like. Maybe mm-hmm. Sauvignon Blanc isn't selling very well, but, but the, in fact, this is very true. Moscato, huge seller on the Groupon <laughs> platform, huge, huge, huge seller. And our number one right now is it's called Wine Sisterhood Moscato. And it's, right. it's just perfect. <laughs> it's like a kitschy little label. It's uh-huh. super sweet. It's not very expensive. Would I put that on there? No. But is that what sells? Yes. So that's what I find rewarding is kind of digging through the maybe misperceptions or the story that's been told before Mm. and looking at the numbers and then moving forward. Yeah. Very cool. Well, what's a piece of advice that you would give to somebody considering starting their own business? Hmm. I would say don't get in the way of yourself. I think we do that all the time, subconsciously, even consciously. I, I can think of over my career of things that I had thought about or, or wanted to try and didn't try. Mm-hmm. And just like that story I was telling you about the pandemic, how it forced me to do something different and end up being better for me. I, I think we need to remind ourselves and listen to our gut instinct when we're feeling that maybe we need a change or we can do something different, mm-hmm. it's so easy to just stay in the status quo. So that would probably be my number one piece of advice. Just don't get in the way of your own self. Absolutely. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on today and for sharing your story with me. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much to Nikki for sharing her story. And thank you for tuning into the podcast today. We are so appreciative of your time spent listening and of your support of our work here at Collider. If you know an entrepreneur who would benefit from the conversation today, please share this podcast with them so that they can benefit from the experience of other business owners in the community. We release a podcast episode once a month here at Rochester Rising, which you can find on the Collider website or wherever you best like to listen to your podcasts, including on YouTube. We launched Rochester Rising in 2016 to tell stories of entrepreneurship taking place within the city of Rochester, especially stories that otherwise would not have been told, and to take the time to understand each entrepreneur and what their experience has been like in this community. If you find value in this podcast, please consider donating and lending support to Collider's efforts to share the stories of Rochester entrepreneurs and inspire others on their journey. You can find more information about our tip jar and how to donate in our show notes. Thanks again for tuning into the Rochester Rising podcast. Mm-hmm.